Let's hear God's word from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Ruth chapter 1. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we return to consider from a different angle this portion of your word, we pray that you would bring to light that which we need to hear, to understand, to believe, or to obey. Lord, according to our need, give us the insight Give us the humility. Give us the grace to embrace the word of the Lord as a gracious, a life-giving, a soul-transforming word for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we revisit Ruth chapter 1, You'll remember the background. We just read through the story part of it again. But what we want to do today is to focus particularly on the person 
of Ruth. Now, of course, she's going to keep cropping up in the rest of the book, but you see how the author highlights Ruth by means of the contrast. Ruth and Orpah are both married to sons of Naomi. They are both widows who have lost their husbands, and they both set out with Naomi. Naomi speaks to both of them in the same way. She repeatedly calls them my daughters. She commends both of them for the kindness that they've demonstrated, the covenant loyalty that they demonstrated to their husbands before they died, but also to her ever since they entered into the family. And you notice that both of these young women are cleaving to Naomi. They identify themselves with her. They're willing to leave their own home to go with her. And it's only because she speaks to them. It's only because she points out that she's taking them back to a life that's rather bleak, a life without prospects for anything better, that one of them goes away. One of them does go away. Her name, of course, is Orpah. Now, this is a feature of a lot of Old Testament narrative, and even to some extent in the New Testament. It's very rare that we're told what characters are thinking. What their thoughts are, what's going through their minds, is revealed by their words and actions, or mostly it's not revealed at all. Unless it comes out in what they say or in what they do, we mostly don't know what they're thinking. But we do have a comment about Orpah going away. In verse 15, Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So there's a great deal of overlap. There's a great deal of similarity between Ruth and Orpah up to this decisive juncture, this crisis, this turning point in the story. But now here there's a great difference. Orpah, and and this is not pronounced as a judgment upon her. It's understandable why she did what she did. But Orpah returns to her father's house. She goes back to let her parents try to help her find another husband now that she's a widow. That's all very understandable as far as it goes. But Naomi adds, end to her gods. Well, now we begin to see part of the point of this narrative, part of the point of the contrast. Orpah was included in the family, but when the going got very tough, Orpah was willing to make alternate arrangements. Orpah was willing to turn back. And turning back from Naomi, turning back from the visit to Bethlehem at that point, in practical terms, was a return to the gods she used to worship. Now, I understand that we might have theological questions. Isn't God everywhere? Couldn't she call upon him from Moab? And yes, obviously. But this is how it's presented in the story so that we get the point. Because part of what Ruth will say to Naomi is, your God will be my God. Ruth is renouncing her ancestral deity, Chemosh. She's turning away from that. She is instead claiming the Lord as her God. And this was seen as the vital point in her loyalty to Naomi, because in the next chapter, Boaz will say to her that she has come to seek refuge under the Lord's wings. 
So it's not just Christian readers looking at this book and saying, oh, Ruth is a pattern of conversion. It's in the story itself. Boaz sees it that way. So that's our first point, that Ruth is a pattern of conversion. Ruth began in a different family. She was outside of the household of God, and the family worship, the family religion, was not worship of the Lord. But then Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys moved into Moab, and a marriage was contracted. Whether technically that should have happened or not is another story. We don't know the order of all events. We don't know if Ruth and Orpah had some kind of a profession of faith or if they were willing to follow their husbands. We're not told all those details. That's not the point. The point is that through the family of Naomi, Ruth was introduced to the true God, the living God. You notice that even in the way Naomi speaks to them. She is talking about the Lord when she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It maybe wasn't the greatest witness ever born to God, but it illustrates that this sort of thing was talked about in this family. Now, of course, Ruth's heart was touched by kindness. Of course, Ruth's heart was touched by the plight of a beloved mother-in-law, but Ruth's heart was also touched by the truth about the Lord. And I think that that one is likely to have been the deepest. That one was the source of the others. And that was why when Orpah made a perfectly understandable decision in terms of her frame of reference, Ruth made an exceptional decision. She was resolved to stick with Naomi until the end. She renounced her people. She renounced her family. She renounced her ancestral religion. She renounced her homeland. She was going to die and be buried with Naomi. Now, when we say Ruth is a pattern of conversion, of course, then people think, so do we have to do all that? Do we have to choose one particular person and swear undying loyalty to them? Well, if that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, then yes. Obviously, it doesn't work in exactly this way in our new location within the history of redemption. But for Ruth, clinging to the Lord and clinging to Naomi were not really two separate things. Clinging to Naomi was part of clinging to the Lord. The natural result of clinging to the Lord was also the steadfast loyalty to Naomi. Now, in that, you see what conversion is like. If you, are, if you grew up outside of the church, if you were not born into a Christian household, if you were not brought up as a disciple of Christ, what does conversion involve? Well, conversion involves an enormous change. Now, if you were born and brought up within the church, there's still a conversion. There's still a change that happens. It's a change not so much in outward things, not so much in things other people can notice, but it's a change from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Lots of people are brought up within the church, but they are still basically egotistical in their orientation to the whole of life. Well, they also need a conversion. It's not going to be as dramatic. It's not going to be as visible as in the case of somebody who grew up in a different religion or in no religion at all, but it's still real. 
It's still genuine. And it involves putting the Lord at the center rather than the self. It involves making a commitment that is going to shape the rest of your life. If you were temporarily converted, you were not truly converted. That's the bottom line. Genuine conversion lasts. Ruth did die in Bethlehem, and she was buried there. That's a mark. That's a test of true conversion. This is a lifelong commitment to the Lord and to the Lord's people. We shouldn't sever those things. We don't necessarily need to cling to Naomi, but if we are going to cling to the Lord, we do have to cling to the Lord's people. There's no practical way to cling to the Lord apart from his people. Now, as Ruth makes that lifelong commitment, as Ruth comes alongside of Naomi to share her grief, to share her emptiness, to go with her into who knows what, Ruth is not just a pattern of conversion. Ruth is also a type of Christ. The basic storyline of the book of Ruth is how was Naomi redeemed from her emptiness? And if you want to expand and make it a little bit more technical, how was Naomi redeemed from her emptiness? And how did Naomi's redemption from emptiness contribute to the coming of the kingdom of God? Because let's not forget that the book ends with a little genealogy that prepares the way for David the king. So that's the overall theme of the book of Ruth. How was Naomi redeemed from emptiness and how Naomi's redemption prepared the way for the coming of God's kingdom? But who's the pivotal figure? Who makes the difference? Who's the instrument of Naomi's redemption? Well, you can say Boaz, and that's true. But you can also say Ruth, and that's also true. How is Naomi redeemed from emptiness? Because Ruth bears a child in Naomi's name, whom Naomi receives and welcomes. Because Ruth sustains Naomi by her diligent labor until a better redemption is found. Because Ruth is the one who can receive, who can solicit and receive a proposal of marriage. Ruth is the one who brings them into the orbit of the Redeemer, the relative who can act to rescue them from their distress. And so Ruth is a type of Christ. And Ruth is a type of Christ, especially in her commitment to Naomi. What did Naomi have to offer Ruth? Naomi herself was of the opinion that she had nothing to offer Ruth. Did that sway Ruth? Did that undermine her commitment? It did not. Well, what do we have to offer to the Lord Jesus Christ? He was rich, and yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. Do you make Christ any better off than he was without you? Do you add something that was missing? Sometimes it's represented that way. I had a kid in a Sunday school class one time you know, we asked the question, why did God redeem people? Like, well, God was really lonely up there in heaven, so he created 
No, 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 not at all. God was not lonely. God is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally exist in an unimaginably joyful mystery of love and communion. There was no loneliness. There was no need. There was no lack. God created not from deficiency, but from superabundance. And why did God redeem? Because he's rich in mercy, not because he needed us. The courts of heaven could get along just fine without us to be there, to bustle around, to act like little butlers or whatever. God did not require us. We add nothing to the fullness of Christ. But in mercy, in commitment, in loyalty, Christ chose to share our condition Christ chose to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ chose to be made of a woman, made under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. Christ chose to become our brother, one like us in all things except for sin. Christ chose to become like us in suffering, in sorrow, in humiliation, in subjection not only to the responsibility of the law, but in subjection even to the curse of the law. Oh, these words of Ruth, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. Where was Christ buried? Well, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was buried in a tomb like we are, like regular people at that time were buried. Christ shared our condition. Why? Because of his commitment to us because of his steadfast love. Ruth is a type of Christ. In that way, then, she's so committed to Naomi that she embraces poverty. She embraces struggle. She embraces manual labor with only a subsistence return. Ruth is not getting ahead when she's going out to glean the fields. They're living hand to mouth. I mean, they're saving up a little bit for the winter when harvest is over, but... They're not coming into prosperity and abundance through gleaning the edges of the field. That's what Ruth embraced for Naomi. That suffering, that sorrow, that hardship, that humiliation, that judgment is what Christ embraced for us. Naomi said, the hand of the Lord has been heavy against me. She saw herself as being afflicted, as being punished by God. Ruth embraced that. Well, so did the Lord Jesus. The wrath and curse of God were what we deserved. And the Lord Jesus embraced that for us. Ruth is a type of Christ. A pretty good type, I must say. But Christ surpasses Ruth. Of course he does. That's why he has to be represented in this book by Ruth and Boaz. Because one person is not going to be able to represent everything that Christ is. Ruth represents the loyalty. Ruth represents the commitment. Ruth represents the sharing and suffering. But Christ, of course, actually effectually redeems. He rescues and delivers us. He brings about transformation. He does stand with us in sorrow. He does take our place in judgment. But he does so so that those things will come to an end. 
so that on the other side there will be a deliverance, or to use the old Scottish word for it, an outgate from that particular circumstance, from those sufferings and trials. And so the Lord Jesus surpasses Ruth in his condescension. What Ruth was leaving was not that great. What she was going to was not that great, but what she was leaving was not that great. Well, Christ surpasses Ruth in condescension. He left heaven's glory. But Christ also surpasses Ruth in the extent of victory, in the kind of redemption that he acquired for his people, for those to whom he was steadfastly committed. So Ruth serves us as a pattern of conversion. We see in Ruth that taking refuge under the wings of the Lord is essential, whether we were born outside, brought up outside of the church, or whether we were born into the church and brought up as disciples. In either case, personally, individually, we need to take refuge under the Lord's wings. He needs to be at the center instead of ourselves, instead of our feelings, our preferences, our opinions, our points of view, whatever it may be. Christ must dethrone ourselves. And of course, that's going to show up in the way we behave towards other people. If the way we treat other people has not been substantially impacted and changed by our commitment to Christ, we need to think about that. We need to do some self-examination. There may be a need for repentance. There may be a need to be brought back on track. But then Ruth is also a type of Christ, somebody who shows us the heart of Christ by her commitment, by her behavior. Though, as with every type, and this is, this is literally true of every single type of Christ, he surpasses them. He is greater. He is better than all the types and shadows, which you would expect. The body that casts the shadow is more substantial, is worth more than the shadow that it casts. But to all of this, we can still add from the perspective of Ruth, what was God doing? Because Ruth isn't just here as a figure, as a character in a story. Ruth was a genuine historical person who had a soul that would never die and a body that will be raised at the last day, either for condemnation or for glory. So if we were in Ruth's shoes, if we had lived through this, what could we take away? Well, again, from Ruth's perspective, think what God has done to seek her out and to lead her to Bethlehem, to lead her to a husband, to lead her to become the great-grandmother of David, to lead her to be included in the lineage of of Christ himself. We talk about Ruth as a pattern of conversion and we're right to do so. But that also means that we should expect to see the other side, the other part of the pattern. What is that? Well, it's that people are only converted because the Lord is seeking them. And in this chapter, it's not emphasized a whole lot, but If you read carefully, I think you can see this. There was a famine in the house of bread. What did that lead to? Well, that led to Elimelech and his family 
leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab. And they stayed there for a long time, long enough that it was necessary to look out for wives for the boys. And wonderful wives were provided. One of them was Ruth. Then calamity struck, death, death, death. And now a departure. And Orpah turns aside, but Ruth remains. Ruth follows. Ruth goes with Naomi all the way back to Bethlehem. She's seeking refuge under the Lord's wings. Well, Naomi interpreted all these things as the Lord being against her, didn't she? The famine, the death of her husband, the death of her sons, now a lonely return to Bethlehem. She sees that as the Lord being against her. And you can understand how she got there. Again, I'm not going to be super critical of Naomi given the depth and reality of her losses. But what if you shift the perspective? What if you look at it from Ruth's point of view? Famine drove a God-fearing family out of Israel and into Moab, where they never would have come otherwise. She was brought into the orbit of that family through the negotiations and the affection that resulted in marriage. She heard about the Lord, and now she has the opportunity to go back to the promised land. It speaks about Ruth returning, even though Ruth had probably never been there before. She's going back to her true home because she has become a true Israelite. She has embraced the Lord, and that's the most important thing. Well, from Ruth's perspective, the famine, the marriage, even the deaths, now the return. She could see that all, not as the hand of the Lord being against her, but as the hand of the Lord guiding, overruling, orchestrating events to bring Ruth back to himself. Because Ruth is not the main character in this book. Even Naomi, she's the point of view character, but she's not the main character. The main character in this book is the Lord himself. If we wanted to refine the theme, we wouldn't say, how was Naomi redeemed? We would say, how did the Lord redeem Naomi from emptiness and use her redemption to bring about the kingdom of God? And an answer, part of the answer to that would be, the Lord sought Ruth and led her back to Israel, led her to himself so that she would be an instrument of redemption for Naomi and for Israel and ultimately for all of us. Ruth became an ancestor of Christ through Boaz, through the events of this story. I think it's important for us to apply that perspective to ourselves for a moment. From Naomi's point of view, it was one disaster after another. And she felt it that way. But from Ruth's point of view, it was God bringing one mercy out of disaster after another. No, not saying Ruth didn't see how hard it was on Naomi. But Ruth is receiving God's grace through these calamities. And as Ruth receives God's grace, she also becomes an instrument, a channel of God's grace to Naomi and to many others as well. If we know the Lord, it's because the Lord has sought us. It's because the Lord in unspeakable mercy has searched us out through different circumstances, but even bringing 
good things, even bringing grace out of calamity in order to draw us to himself. On the one hand, then, that means we have a responsibility to be channels, instruments of grace to those around us. If the Lord has shown covenant kindness to us, how can we do less for those around us? But it's also such a rest, such a comfort, such a joy of heart. The Lord has loved us with everlasting love. Therefore, he has sought us. Therefore, he has drawn us. Therefore, he has led us back to himself, back to our true home, back to the one to whom we ought to commit ourselves forever. The Lord has drawn us to Christ. That's mercy. That's grace right there. Amen.